The following Marx Daily Apple article was written by Mark Sisson and is narrated by Brock Armstrong. How to Raise Creative and Self-Reliant Free-Range Kids I always find it funny when I write a blog about something and suddenly I find other incredible angles of the topic coincidentally pop up in my newsfeed or in conversation. I also loved reading the gamut of stories and opinions you guys posted on the message board. Such was the case a couple weeks ago following my post on free-range kids. It's true some other major media outlets took up the general subject in their op-eds, etc., More interestingly, I've stumbled across commentaries that cover everything from the value of tree climbing to the no-fuss, no-guilt philosophy of 70s mothers. As the title notes, drinking tab and locking us outside. (laughs) Sound familiar to anyone? The most intriguing find, however, was an NPR article highlighting a children's adventure park in Wales, inspired by the unofficial play havens of bombed-out buildings during World War II. The unconventional playground, called simply The Land, is apparently one of dozens in Europe, with a small handful in the U.S., including one in Berkeley, California, and a few in New York. The scene is probably every kid's dream. A few acres of zip lines, hills, mud, fire, paints, chains, climbing structures, piping, tires, dens, hammers and nails, random boards, and all manner of, well, junk. I mentioned the hours in New England that I spent in dumps as a kid a couple weeks ago, and it's apparently an official and universal truth. Kids just like junk. The designers and playworkers, specially trained observers who offer strategically minimal interaction, emphasize the importance of loose parts for this kind of open-ended playwork. For example, pallets and boards, tools, etc., with no fixed or pre-associated function. Such an environment, so antithetical to most traditional playgrounds, encourages self-direction, managed risk, and social negotiation from the relative absence of any structure. If you find yourself drawn to this concept, by the way, for your children or, admit it, yourself, they even offer a free play-work primer, a fantastically awesome resource. Find the link over at marksdailyapple.com. The concept casts playgrounds and play in a renewed light. In an era where swings and teeter-totters are deemed too dangerous, these parks refuse that safety-obsessive movement. There's something about rushing toward whatever everyone else tells you is dangerous. It also refuses the precious setups and perfectly arranged stations of toys or equipment that still suggest to kids what they're supposed to do, and cost more than most people make in a month. There's nothing cute or stylish here. It's ugly, and the kids like it that way. What does it remind you of? Maybe nature, before we began to get caught up in the aesthetic arrangement of it? Nature when it was hands-on, when no one cared if you picked up whatever plants you wanted, moved logs if you were strong enough to lift them, threw rocks everywhere and walked in the mud? Nature, when it was a human habitat and not an endangered specimen or pristine gardenscape. I think we find ourselves with this angle at an intriguing intersection of free play and free range. 
Not only are we obsessively restricting our kids' parameters of place, the space in which they feel at home and competent to navigate, free to explore, but we're relentless about planning or directing their play with everything from over-the-shoulder activity calendars to one-function toys to neurotic cleanliness. Let's eradicate their sense of communal space, but make up for it by decorating their bedrooms to the nines. Let's make sure they never so much as get a knee scrape, but then put them on ADHD medication before we even stop to question whether they simply want to run around a few times a day. We don't have time for a green hour each day, but two hours of homework and an hour and a half of organized activities and an allotted hour on the iPad aren't up for questioning. It's somehow become so easy to downplay play. But risky play, wild play, dangerous play, how do we justify anything presumably unessential to higher test scores and remotely hazardous? The status quo might grudgingly accept that you have to let little kids out to play for a short stint each day to help attentiveness and prevent major behavioral problems. When you try to push the envelope and insist on play as more than just a stretch break for all kids and maybe even adults, that's another story. When we begin to look at the purposes of play and the diversity of its forms, it's blatantly obvious we're giving it a short shrift. Well-known play theorist and advocate Bob Hughes is one of the minds behind the development of the playwork movement and creator of the play taxonomy. According to Hughes, there are no less than 16 types of play, all essential to cognitive, social, physical, and emotional development. And they are sociodramatic, rough-and-tumble, exploratory, object, creative, communication, deep, recapitulative, symbolic, fantasy, dramatic, imaginative, locomotor, mastery, and role-play. Creativity has been called, for example, the most important factor for professional success in leadership. It's little wonder, given that the studies suggest free play, self-directed, supports a kind of executive flexibility, the ability to switch out goals and directions. For everyone who's ever watched a horde of kids negotiate what to play or where to go or how to do something on their own, it's clear Adaptability is key to keep the peace and the fun moving forward. There's a flow to it that might take their scenarios in a hundred different amusing directions, but for them, it's serious business. Fast forward 25 years and that flexibility will work for them in their personal adult development. Yes, as Torrance test scores indicate, creativity is on the decline paralleling the decline in children's free time and free play. Beyond the realm of success, however, is the question of general well-being and even emotional stability. Research has found some strong connections between play and lower rates of depression and anxiety rates, as well as the development of social empathy. Interviews with murderers have found that play deprivation was a leading and unexpected correlation at 90%. Finally, from a primal perspective, let us consider for a moment the definitions of just two of these, deep play and recapitulative play. 
Deep play is described as, quote, play which allows the child to encounter risky or even potentially life-threatening experiences to develop survival skills and conquer fear, end quote. Recapitulative play is, quote, play that allows the child to explore ancestry, history, rituals, stories, rhymes, fire, and darkness, enables children to access play of earlier human evolutionary stages, end quote. What about our current education system, or even most families' weekend activities, address these needs? There is so much to just these two theorized types of play, I'll have to cover them another time, but I couldn't help including them here. Grok as ultimate play worker. So, I get it. Not everyone lives near an adventure park. Not everyone lives in a neighborhood safe enough for eight-year-olds to walk by themselves for more than a block. I'm not suggesting we put our heads in the sand. What I am suggesting is that we look at the opportunities we have available to us. In fact, maybe we could commit to an experiment. Let me throw out some totally random suggestions that open the door for wild, free-range, diverse, and self-directed play and invite you to offer your own inspired ideas. Plan your next vacation to include a trip, be prepared for repeat requests, to an adventure park. Better than Disneyland any day. Make your own pop-up adventure park at home, or with others in your community. Make it the theme of your kid's next birthday party. Collect large, as large as you can, cardboard boxes. Put them somewhere visible, but don't say anything. At some point, they'll ask if they can have them. Pretend to reluctantly agree. Do not, under any circumstances, suggest what they could do with them. Dump the idea of a perfect playroom or perfect toys. If it pleases an adult aesthetic, it's probably not that fun. Forget anything that matches or declares its own function. Imagine Grok's kids and choose for them. Think random, unusual, and useful. Kids, when left to their own devices, will raid your recycling and kitchen drawers for their play. Donate 50% or more of your kids' toys and make a room in your house or backyard now that we're heading into the warmer season with nothing but loose parts. Tubes, beads, buckets, hoses, platforms, random clothes, rags, boards, cardboard boxes of all sizes, there's never enough of those, etc. Tell them nothing around the neck and then let them have at it. Offer your child the chance to play with a group of friends, cousins, neighbors, and kids, not all the same age, on a regular basis with a wild and loose part focus. The more minds, the more enthusiasm and ideas they'll gather, as well as negotiate. Do a city-slash-country scavenger hunt that allows kids the chance to wander with unobtrusive adult accompaniment, as needed. Have a portable bin of adventure junk that you can bring to the parks and let the kids use. The different environment, and other kids who will inevitably flock to the new options, will open up new scenarios. Give them their own workshop, which could be a portable wagon. Teach them, or better yet, have a responsible non-parent teach them, to safely hammer and saw, etc., Give them opportunities to work while you're inconspicuously present, washing the car in the driveway while they work in the garage. 
teach them how to play with fire without burning down the neighborhood or seriously injuring themselves. Spend an hour each week somewhere outdoors where they can actually manipulate things, where the no-touch rule doesn't apply. Have you ever watched kids on a rock beach? Bring water and food because you'll be there for hours. Find a friend who has some land and doesn't mind the kids moving a tree limb or whatever else they find. And most of all, make the time for whim, adventure, exploration, experimentation, boredom, which is the mother of many a great invention and many a great story. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have you been to an adventure park or feel inspired to go and build one? Have a great end to your week and enjoy some deep and recapitulative play this weekend. Hey, Primal Podcast listeners. Have you been wanting and waiting to take your health or your clients to peak levels? Then it's time to enroll in the Primal Blueprint Expert Certification. The Primal Blueprint Expert Certification is the very first and surely to be the preeminent ancestral health online certification program. From the comfort of your own home, you'll dive deeper into the Primal Blueprint philosophy with a comprehensive online course and examination process through 13 educational modules. This self-paced course is equivalent to an upper division college course in the health sciences. You'll develop the expertise in primal eating, exercise, and lifestyle practices to help you and your clients achieve breakthroughs. This certification program also gives you access to over $400 of multimedia educational materials, ebooks, digital books, and video instruction from Primal Blueprint author Mark Sisson. Graduates are listed online in our certified expert directory to enhance their credibility in the evolutionary health world. Register for the certification program today at primalblueprint.com and gain immediate access to the course materials and educational library.